Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. For more information, you can visit the Cinema Catch-Up Club's official Facebook page. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Or you can visit our website, thoughtjarproductions.com. This podcast is available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and we would really appreciate your subscriptions there, so pick your service of choice. For more information about this and other podcasts we produce, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com. And now, for this week's episode. Hello, everyone. This is the Cinema Catch-Up Club. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading. <laughs> it's Halloween! And because it's Halloween, we are watching 1982's The Thing. Woo! Ba, ba, ba! Or more specifically, John Carpenter's The Thing. Ba, ba, ba! Joining me providing the ba ba bars and are uh, two people, one who has seen the film and one who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film and has been providing the ba bars, it's Kate Willoughby, everyone. Hi! Oh, I was meant to do a Dracula thing. Oh, hello. Oh, that, I ruined it. Hi, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Kate. Yes. And I have not seen the movie. You have not yet. seen the thing. So do you, do you know anything about the thing? Um, I know from pop culture references, so which I don't want to give anyway for people that haven't seen the thing, but I know that people are like, um, you know, the about the dog um, and the, about the... Um, there's some people that speak a different language and people are like, if you speak that language, then it sort of you, it gives a plot point away yeah. or stuff like that. So I, I sort of know like basic stuff but mm. i've never actually watched it so even if i do know what might be considered spoilers i don't i think i'd still watch it going mm-hmm. so i'm assuming so yeah i've never really seen, i'm not a big uh, horror person so this will be fun this will yeah. be a fun one then mm. yes and also joining us uh, that voice over there is uh, mr andrew david welcome back andrew thank you Stephen. thank you very much and uh, just a reminder for the folks at home who are you and what do you do uh, i am andrew david and i am a special effects workshop assistant for a local company called traumasim we do blood and guts and moulage for medical personnel all over Australia. Mm. You are like literally perfect for horror themes. Yes, I am. Mm. And I've been bugging Stephen to do this film for a long time. <laughs> and I said, only if the audience choose it after a Patreon selected committee suggests the films. And uh, they did. So. I may have paid a few of them off. <gasps> well. Duh, 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 duh. But you will never know. I won't because I'm not going to find out. So uh, <clears throat> the thing, 1982. Uh, Andrew, I I gather from your uh, pestering to to be on this that yep. uh, you quite like John Carpenter's The Thing. It is one of my favourite films. Mm. It, I don't know if it is my favourite, but it's like one or two. It's up there. It's mm. up there for sure. Um, I just absolutely love it. And when did you last watch it? Uh, about a year ago, probably. Mm. Maybe a bit less than that. It's hard to know. It's just, it's in my head all the time, so I don't know when I actually physically watched it. Mm. No, that's wow. that's fair. I mean, I uh, have I've, I've, I have seen this film, and I remember the first time watching it, and it was probably about 10 years ago for me. Um, I 
really liked it. Yeah. I, I, I got to the end of it and I was like, that's a good film! <laughs> yes! So, uh, yeah, and, and again, I'm not really a person that's... Um, I'm not I'm not a big fan of horror films. Mm. You know, I've I've watched plenty of them and it's like, yeah, they're okay, but they're not the thing where it's like that's something I go to the cinema to see. Mm. Uh but the thing I yeah, th- I think is absolutely outstanding. So, uh without any further ado, uh shall we get into it? Are you sure? Let's watch this. All right, everyone, uh get your super hot needles and blood samples on <laughs> on the ready as we watch John Carpenter's The Thing. There's no ghosts, though. <laughs> <laughs> You're well off. All right, everybody, and welcome back to our Halloween special review of The Thing. Ba-ba-ba! And I'm joined once again by Kate Willoughby and Andrew David. So, guys, uh, The Thing, what did we think? Uh, Still amazing. Still one of the best films ever made, in my opinion. It was really, really good. I definitely spent um, every monster apart. It was just me just going, what the f***? I did a tally. Oh, okay. Well, oh, I'm did just you saying... do a tally of how many times well, I said it? Well, no, when, when the dog starts at the first time, I wrote verbatim, you said, oh, what the f***? My God, the f***. And then just stood in shock silence for a minute before swearing more and more and more. <laughs> See, what I did is I just specifically just the phrase, uh, what the f***, you said six times during that film. <laughs> there were yeah. other variations where you went, <laughs> or, ah! <laughs> um, you know, you made some sort of swearing-based expletive, but specifically the phrase WTF, yeah. six times. Six times, <laughs> yeah, which probably close to the number of times of people getting killed mm. um yeah. Yeah, yeah no it was because that was a thing like i thought at the start like because i knew that uh obviously spoilers that the dog at the start of the movie is the thing and that's mm. what the norwegians are trying to get and i sort of knew that part so i felt like oh the suspense obviously this is a, uh, that's the alien but really up until after that point i didn't really know so i guess i was worried the first 10 minutes i was like Oh, yeah, 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 I sort of know what's going on. I was worried on. about that too with you going in. I was worried because you knew that. Yeah. But then once once you don't know who it's in after that. After, yeah. yeah. Then the suspense came right back in. Yeah. I kept going, is it this guy? Is it this guy? Also, same with the doctor. I was like, just just explain what's going on and then destroy <laughs> Blair. everything. Mm. Yeah, yeah, Blair. <laughs> I was like, you just, yeah. Mm. yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, I think I think the really fun thing with this film coming back into it um, was was that I'd I'd actually forgotten a few of the deaths. Like I knew, yeah. I, 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 it was to me. It was like, okay, I know this is going to end with uh, McCready and Child sat by themselves in the rubble, and I forgot how many other people were in this film. And going, oh, these people are all going to get killed some way. And I, I like, for example. Um, I, I know a couple of them, like um, one of the doctors being killed trying to defibrillate. Yeah, yeah I knew the that as, a, as a, like a, I think a YouTube famous scene yeah. or whatever, yeah. but I forgot that was I, in I, there. I had that moment because when they're all standing outside after McCready's taken charge again mm. um, and they've just burnt the body and they're all in a line, and I was like, there's like 10 people here. I only remember like five people dying in this film and I watched it so often, so I was like, What's going to happen to all these people? Well, yeah, like yeah. Um, like when Gary gets killed near the end, yeah, um, with with the, the hand stretching so out the good. face, I'd forgotten about that. Me too. Yeah, yeah. and it, and it was great. And then of course there's a couple of deaths which sort of happen off screen uh, as well. Like Fuchs. 
yeah kind of runs off and then you're like oh there's his body yeah so that you know there are a couple of things like that but yeah it was it was surprising to see that many mm. so uh, the film starts with um a, fly- a flying saucer heading towards the earth um mm. looking very much like the cover of an elo album that probably came out <laughs> the same year um but of course then we what what we don't realize watching that is that that is happening way back in the past hundred thousand years they said mm. yeah and then of course the film starts with this uh norwegian helicopter chasing down a dog trying to shoot it uh they fail to get it one of yeah. them accidentally blows himself up um <laughs> dropping the grenade when he goes to throw it you know, it's cla- just, classic it's norwegian a shitty way to go as well yeah. he's like oh. Especially, oh no. especially when you realise later that they managed to be the two survivors yeah. of like a pretty much a small alien invasion, and then mm. it's just your slippery gloves that like yeah. kill you. And in the prequel, mm. that kind of it ends with them. One of the endings because there's a few things going on, but like they go off in the helicopter, and it's kind of hopeful. It's like we're gonna chase down this dog and kill it, mm. and yeah. then of course they die 10 minutes later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, that'd be like if we got to the end of this film and then McCready stepped on a rake and it hit him in the throat and killed him. You know, yeah. That yeah. Kind of thing. It's, it's just so unfortunate. Um, so yeah. And uh, the other Norwegian is, is shot because he, he uh, shoots George trying to shoot the dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, they think he's just a mad gunman. Mm. He can only speak Norwegian and he's shouting, you guys, the dog is a thing. Kill it, kill it. Yeah. And he just gets shot for the head as, as, you know, when you go to an American research base and start Gary's shooting it shoot up. You. Yeah. It made, yeah. makes sense. Yeah. You know, at that yeah. point it was, it, he was a threat. Um, we are introduced to our main character, McCready, as he uh, loses a game of chess against his chess wizard computer. Which was yeah. very a lot of foreshadowing there, because mm. he tries to be all tactical and he gets uh, very confident and cocky, and then the computer outwits him, so he blows the computer up. Yeah. Which is exactly what happens at the end of the film. He, mm. he, oh, he's yeah. like, he's smart about everything, but at the end, none of it matters, so he blows the whole base up. Mm. Oh, yeah. smart! Yeah, it's a nice little bit of foreshadowing. Yeah, uh, he used less alcohol with with the blowing up the base, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was yeah. We we see this little interaction, and I I think it it is interesting that having having McCready as the protagonist in this film because we we could have technically followed any of these characters. Yeah, like it could have been Gary, the guy who was actually running the base. Yeah, and because he's there right up until the last five minutes. Mm. Um, you know, it could have been from his perspective. It could have been Child as well, because he he survives. He yeah. survives yeah. at yeah. the end as well. And um, oh, what's his face? <laughs> the the fellow on the roller skates. Oh, I wrote it. Oh, um, I Knowles. Loved that. Knowles. Yeah. Knowles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he. Yeah. 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 He's like the young rookie on the roller skates. He's playing Stevie Wonder all yeah, the, the time. Cook. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's uh, very eighties disco. Yeah. 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 But He's... also, it could have been interesting because all of them would have been like proper like scientists slash you know, mechanics, and then all of a sudden, like, it just being the cook that mm, manages that to <laughs> kill yeah. everything. Well, I so, mean, in, in this yeah. case, though, it's the guy that flies the helicopters. He literally wears, like, a, a squared-off cowboy hat yeah. Yeah. and drinks in his shack by himself. Yeah, and then occasionally flies the helicopter. Yeah, and yeah. all the doctors, they all <laughs> die pretty quickly. <laughs> well, you know, they're very curious. They get a bit too close. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It, it is very interesting. So, um, yeah, so this dog runs into the base. Uh, they're like, okay something's gone wrong with the norwegian base we better go over and check it out um george is shot in the leg but it's a graze he's okay mm-hmm. um and then they they decide to go over to the norwegian base to find out what's happened and the norwegian base is destroyed it oh. is a burnt shell. A bit of a mess yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh and Axe in the door everything well, exactly that's what i wanted to touch on because uh one thing we all commented on whilst watching this bit was the set dressing mm. how much story is just 
set yeah. up in all all of the rooms mm. yeah. yeah like um that's what was really good with the axe in the door was because they couldn't get in but then when you go through you see that there's a something up against it and you sort of go through someone's well barricaded someone's and... barricaded it and then he's re- pretty much gone i'm not going to get out of this alive and then has slit his own wrists and, and throat, throat yeah you know because With and the that frozen blood and that sort of again happened later one of the characters um, I forgot his name, but he's the doctor who sees the thing and oh, he's... Oh, uh, Fuchs. Yeah, Fuchs. Yeah. And he set himself on fire in the snow and yeah. burnt to death. And that's so... De- like, you're like, oh my God. Mm. But so they do have a, a bit of a throwback. A character's yeah. just going, I gotta, I'd rather kill myself than... Mm you know, be taken over. Although you understand why, particularly when we first encounter the body of one of the Ugh. the things, which is just this twisted, manipulated, like there's two heads two that are like separating. together. Yeah, there's mm. all these limbs all over the place and they bring it back to the base and everyone's like, this is all kind of messed up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and one thing I also jotted down here, uh, this may be the best dog acting in a film. So yeah, I, that was the first thing I noticed. I kept, I, that, okay, I kept saying, um, what the f***? But also, first half of the movie, I was like, "Man, this is some solid dog acting." Just like, so how, he never blinks, and it's really disconcerting. And yeah. he's just so purposeful in his movements. Like when just before the thing first reveals itself in the dog kennel, he just they go go to the kennel boy, and he just walks in slowly, methodically, and sits down in the middle of the room and doesn't move or yeah. make eye contact. Mm. And you're like, I don't know what's gonna like. I imagine, like, you don't know what's going to happen, but it's mm. so yeah. unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, obviously all the other dogs are just lying around being dogs, being natural yeah. dogs. Yeah. Uh, the dog in question, the Norwegian dog, uh, was named Jed. Um, he was a half wolf, half uh, Malamute breed mm. uh, and was an excellent animal actor, never looking at the camera, the dolly or the crew members. <laughs> yeah. No, because mm. that's the thing. Like, that's a legit, like, when you watch a lot of movies and you see, like, dog like mm. acting, I suppose, mm. you can always tell, like, oh, when a dog's sitting in there in a household, that they're not interacting with their owners that mm. they're clearly you can tell that they're clearly looking either at the trainer or they're looking like babies they're looking at something mm. while this one it it's not looking and that's what makes it mm. I, I guess a good act a good actor is yeah. what humans do is they don't interact because you can tell when even with an actor you can see when they're looking at something off camera and you can tell that they're clearly looking at something that they're not meant to um, yeah. and i think you know the dog mm. very solid it was so good. I've realized I've written down great dog acting at two separate points in my notes. Yeah, <laughs> like it was creepy. Mm. Yeah. So uh, well done to Jed. Mm. Uh, maybe the best actor in this film. And to good be honest, boy. Yeah, good mm. boy. The the acting in this is actually pretty pretty it's great. Really I mean, you genuinely believe a lot of the fear, a lot of the, the paranoia, you know, with everyone turning on each other. Uh, we did um, Reservoir Dogs a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. Mm. And obviously there's a similar theme in that where you have one of the characters in Reservoir Dogs is is a cop who's Mm -hmm. like worked his way into this diamond heist group and no one knows who to trust this is like that but instead of like you're going to go to jail it's you're going to be transmorphed into this horrible (laughs) xenomorphic the world comes to an end yeah yeah, Yeah. nightmare so it's it's interesting seeing how those performances affect those actors and you know there's a lot of uh there's a lot of machismo, a lot of shoving, a lot of shouting, a lot of, hey, we need a boss. We need someone to be in charge. Oh, I don't want to be the guy in charge. Yeah, yeah there's a um, lot of that. Is it Nelson, I think? And they're like, I think it's Nelson. Mm. And they say, do you want to be in charge? It's like, no, mm. <laughs> I don't. Mm. Mm. And, you know, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's it's not a great situation to be in. Um, but but I, there's some really great performances throughout this film. Mm. There isn't really anyone where you're going, eh. Yeah, if only you didn't. No, it's really good. Yeah. And, and young mm. Keith David just... 
bringing it home. Yeah, I was mm. Childs. He's wonderful. Oh, so good. And, you know, he's, he's well known these days for his voice acting and his yeah. wonderful vocal quality. Uh, that will be uh, Commander Anderson from yes. Mass Effect. And um, course, the Arbiter from Halo. Yes, and uh, the President from uh, Rick and Morty. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> you know, some wonderful voice acting he does. And really just great presence in this film. Mm. Um, really fantastic. The thing I also like is that um, he broke his arm just before filming so he's wearing a cast underneath his I didn't coat. know that wow. that's that's why he's always wearing gloves and a coat like oh. you never see him not in those things and I read that before watching it this time and I've noticed I didn't want to say anything to like <laughs> distract you guys watching yeah. it but it's true whenever mm-hmm. he um whenever he's like particularly in those early scenes um his this this left arm is very stiff in its yeah. movements and that's because he's wearing a cast um <laughs> And you can't really tell. He, he, again, they do a really good job. I guess it's good, good to be in a movie based in snow, where you got to mm. be rugged up and everything. Yeah. Like, I think if it was based in the Bahamas, he might have had a In a tank a more, top, yeah. Yeah, they would have had to have made a, a, a story character choice, you know, <laughs> as to why he had a broken arm. But yeah, so it was yeah. really good. And speaking of the reactions, uh, obviously the dog, uh, when it, it gets put into the pen with the other dogs, turns into the dog thing. I specifically just wrote down Kate's reaction to the dog thing. Because <laughs> um, that's the first time you see it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it really was me just, uh, yeah, I was like, what? No. Mm. And then I just kept going. I was like, what? The? And then I felt so bad for the dog trying to get out. And then it just like sprayed acid thing on it. Yeah, like, and then all the other dogs that are getting like wrapped in the in the tentacles yeah, and stuff. Yeah, it was really messed up. I think it did really go against sort of movie tropes where it was like, it was like don't kill animals, and it was like animals, animals dead. Like, yeah, which is, which I think is such a great way to open it because obviously, as an audience, you root to save the dog. So these crazy Norwegians no. come in shooting at a dog, and the Americans save it. You're like, good job, you save the dog as you would in any classic film. And then, of course, the dog is evil. Yeah. Yeah. Also, going against tropes, which is really cool, and I noticed towards the movie how we all agreed. We were like, okay, well, first of all, it's a horror movie. They have two um, black male characters in the movie, and they made it like they weren't the first to die, and they made it towards the end. They were the last two to die. They were the last. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, because Knowles gets killed around the same time as... um, uh, Gary, just after Gary, just after Gary. So he's the last one to die. In the he's movie. the last yeah. one, yeah. Yeah, and then Charles is there at the end. So you know that yeah. was nice. Not not so great on the female representation in this no, film. Not so much. Um, you know, th- there is only one female actor in this film, and that's the voice of Macready's computer, um, <laughs> John Carpenter's wife, by the way. Oh. Oh, I love it. So, well, yeah. I mean, hey, look, we've got Alien, so <laughs> I, th- yeah. I think that's enough, guys. No, mm. oh. but I mean, did as as a female viewer, Kate, did mm. did that? Um, register for you as being something no that was... to be honest um it sounds really cynical but i'm not being cynical um i guess it is a bit um is that i'm so used to male driven films that it i don't even really a lot of the time i don't it doesn't really occur to me um until after i've watched unless it's really obvious sometimes i don't know like sometimes the if it's like a type of film like entourage or yeah. i don't know sometimes when they have movies where it's very blokey and you're like oh god Okay. Yeah, and I, I think if this film was made today with an all-male cast, you'd look at it and, and that wouldn't fly. Um, like, the yeah. prequel they did, that has a bunch of... That has a, a few female characters in it, like three or four. Yeah. Um, but I think because it was made in the 80s and it's made in a specific setting, which you could see as a male-dominated profession. Yeah, which it probably still is in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, so I didn't. it didn't really occur to me because... 
even though they were all men, it wasn't their gender wasn't part of the story. It was no. just sort of here are people at this base trying to survive. It's more of a human story mm. against something else, which is why I don't think it really computed. Like a lot of those characters you could replace with women hmm. and there wouldn't be any difference to the story because the story isn't about men being men. It's about like human beings trying to survive, survive an yeah. alien invasion of yep. all sorts. A f***ed up E.T. Because mm. I was like, that's how I... Because the guy was making a spaceship. I was like, is he just trying to get home? Like they're all thinking it's an invasion, which to be honest, like they're going, it wants to take over the world. Mm. But then all of a sudden you see a makeshift spaceship and a part of me was like, does this thing just want to make a form mm. so it can build a ship mm -hmm. and get off like and just get off the planet because mm -hmm. it was like a dog can't do it and so it wanted like a maybe a human form to build something and then just get the f off like a part of me was actually thinking it's just maybe a messed up et where it's like bitch i don't want to be here because it might just assume the whole planet's full of ice so it's uninhabitable so yeah that was like the one part of the film that i don't think had to be in there yeah. You didn't have to show that workshop place with the spaceship or anything. You didn't need to throw that extra. But that's why in. that's why it made me think it was a fucked up ET. Like yeah. I think <laughs> I think that sort of assumption with a lot of alien movies is the alien wants to take over the human, and even the Doctor mm. just assumes that it'll infect the whole world, and that's yeah. its goal. Mm. And I I sort of think that that's a very <clears throat> um, self centered human thing to think like mm. this alien has come here and wants to destroy because and, and invade because as humans that's what we would mm. do but then you sort of see that ship and it doesn't answer it but it sort of made me go oh is it trying to get off the planet or maybe just out of the ice maybe mm. maybe yeah, it does want to go to somewhere more tropical but i mean it could be i i think the the assumptions that are made by uh, Dr. Blair and by the other characters are mm. quite fair, though, because all, oh, it, yeah. all it does is turn up and assimilate people. And it could even be it's not making a conscious decision. That's of just like, what it does. Mm. This, this is just what this life form does. It assimilates with other life forms and creates um, these, these what we would consider monstrosities. But to it are just like, oh, well, I'm just going to create a bit of my body which opens up now because that's what I need to survive. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... Yeah, it it is interesting. I quite like the little spaceship, to be honest. Yeah. I, I thought it was it showed an intelligence which I think was important to bestow upon the thing because then when it starts doing things like destroying the generators and stuff, it's like, well, how does it know what a generator is? Obviously, yeah, it's capable of space travel, so it has yeah. some level of knowledge. Yeah, it's not just like a monster. It's not like mm. an oogie boogie monster. And like, and I, but I do like at the same time a lot of things being un unanswered. So yeah. in the sense of is the thing like the alien in the ship or is the thing just happens to be a version of like their version of like a, a mechanic mm. or their version of their pet or like a parasite or that, a parasite mm, that, maybe it's just you know maybe the crew of that spaceship were infected with the thing that's, and that's, there was that's my thought and that's yeah. why be, the ship crashed there could be a prequel prequel where um, we see the thing in space and it ends with one of them crashing the spaceship into, into the, the earth yeah. to try and destroy the thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Cool. I mean, the thing is, is that that would explain why the spaceship crashed to earth. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, it was because it was being infected mm. by the thing and that could probably explain, you know, because you don't even know what it really looks like mm. when it's in There's, the ice. Uh, I mean, they they do it, show it in the prequel. No, I oh, do they? Sure. Yes, they do. The question is, is that what it looks like? Is that what the alien it infected look like mm. or is that what the its infection of the alien turned into a monstrosity looks like? right it's, so there's, yeah. there's still variables exactly right you don't See, actually that know. would be a really interesting mm. concept to just have a whole 
I don't think it would work because everyone would be like, oh, okay, I guess it's about aliens trying to survive, not humans. Mm. But, like, mm. it'd be really interesting, just a bunch of actors and just alien, just, like, mm. full-on Klingon look. Like, mm. I don't know, like, and just sort of going, we got to survive. It would be a hard yeah, film to market. It would be a really hard <laughs> film and to market. And what would you call it? Because the, 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 the prequel was also called, called The, the Thing. thing. I you... think it's called All of Them, The Thing. Yeah, and it Can... just gets increasingly confusing. Can yeah. I just say, though, I didn't know that the, that the 2011 The Thing was a prequel. I assumed it was a remake. Which is what a lot of, lot of mm. people thought, yeah. Which is probably why it didn't do very well in the box office. Well, and also they like they messed it up by going over all the beautiful practical effects they made for that film with CGI. Mm. Now, yeah. speaking of effects, obviously the effects, are kind of, that's yes. kind of your, your ballpark, your wheelhouse. That, that's, on top of it being a good film, that mm. is the reason I adore this film, is now, the effects. We saw at the beginning of the film in the title cards, Rob Bottin given yes. a big title card. Bottin. which Bowton, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Rob Bowton. Thank you for correcting me. Um, uh, Mr. Bowton mm-hmm. was credited uh, at the start. Only one actor was credited, Kurt Russell, yep. obviously the director, the lead cinematographer. And then you have the head of the special effects, yep. Rob Bowton. Um, and he, at the time, was a 22-year-old special effects artist getting yeah. like top billing in this film. But I think now having watched it, we can all see why. Because the special effects are outstanding so okay the head being ripped off and the crawling spider i that i was that i think that gave me the biggest i mean the dog yeah that was too what the when that yeah that was too because first it was the guy and then the head pulling off the head pulling off and then that gave the indication of hang on a second it's it's not one thing and that's why i forget a lot of the second half of the film is because all i can think of is that scene because mm. it's just so glorious to watch, and it's done so well. Like exactly. it looks, like it looks real. Like, mm-hmm. and I think that's it's it's practical effects. Where as a as a viewer, it's not like it's real. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like I don't know. I've seen some practical effects where I'm like, oh my god, and it looks really real. But maybe because it's an alien, it's it still which looks it, which fake. was a conscious decision. I think they made. I can't remember exactly, but. They didn't want it to be blood and guts because of ratings issues and stuff. Mm. So if you make it look like alien weird innards and you don't know what the f- is going on, yeah. then it, you get around the ratings a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, Rob Bowden, he worked in this film nonstop for just over a year. Whoa. He basically lived on the lot where they were doing it and like slept in the studio. And then after it was all done, John Carpenter was like, I'm checking you into a hospital and you're not leaving for like a week to make sure you're not going to die. Well, he was exhausted. Yeah. Um, And this is life. It makes sense, obviously, when you consider just how many special effects that would have taken months to prepare. Well, like that scene we're talking about, the head ripping off. Uh, Like there's fire in the foreground to show like the bodies on fire after they've burnt it. And that wasn't originally in the shot. Mm-hmm. So what they, they they were like we should have fire to show that the body's burning. So they had to like pull in one of those uh those uh, like fire rings thing that shoot f- like jets up to like show fire flickering in the foreground. Mm. And what they did because when the net comes off, it's all like bubbling, sizzling stuff. And that was like melting bubble gum and plastic and stuff. Mm. And so they set this whole thing up, which took like eight hours. Oh my god! And then they said, oh, we should put fire in this. They put fire in. And all this stuff had let off, like, all these noxious fumes in the entire room. Oh, my God. And the room exploded. <laughs> like, just... After it was, they it, filmed it? Or while, while they, they were filming it, like, the whole thing, like, just a massive fireball above that body. Mm. And so they were like, we got to reset. So they had to, like, spend the next eight hours resetting for, like, that single shot. 
And that, that's the kind of work they were doing on this film. Mm. And that's why he had to go into hospital afterwards. Oh, my God. Yeah. Nah. And it shows. It shows in the end product how, like, amazing the practical mm. effects was. So I mean, it did butt yeah. some heads. It, it certainly did, yeah. Mm. Um, obviously, you know, th- there's a reason we don't see many films like this. No. Because the effort required is phenomenal to mm. create these effects, which are also phenomenal. Yeah. But the thing I found watching it was each time I, I dreaded the thing appearing... <laughs> But I wanted to see what it looked yeah. like. And that is a fantastic combination. Even as a second, third time viewer watching this, you're like, oh, I really don't want to see it. It's awful. It makes me feel icky. But what have they done? How, yeah. like, like, and <laughs> yeah. something I noticed this time is that initial thing corpse they find with the, the head that's sort of split yeah. in two. There's like a tongue that's like, like sticking out. Yeah, it, it connects, connects the two mouths. It's like it's sticking yeah. out of one mouth, but it's coming from the other mouth. Yeah. It's things like that. that it's yeah. just like... Uh, ooh, ooh. And you pick in those little details on rewatches, yeah. and you're like, "Oh god, this is yeah. even worse than but I thought." That's also what would make it harder, like for the designer, which mm-hmm. makes me just really appreciate it. Is that a lot of other monster movies? You're like, "This is the monster. This is what it looks like." So yeah. then the designer, once they've designed it, they go, "Okay, let's make mass amount of copies and versions, and, and just sit back, you know, replace and mm. copy, copy and paste." And but this one, they're like, "Oh no, it changes every time." It, it, yeah. it makes someone so it's you're just like okay well it has to be different so instead of making one monster you're creating like pretty much six versions and i think honestly that's why i just wouldn't be surprised if the designer was like okay look i'm gonna be real with you i want at least half of these deaths off scene and <laughs> you uh, can't kill all these people i, I don't want them ways. all shown on screen <laughs> like i need at least half of them gone yeah. like just because it would just be I think absolutely impossible. Same mm-hmm. with the body burning. I could totally understand where they're like, you know what? No, here's, we're just going to get like here's a, a basic, we're going to get a basic burnt corpse. We've got in the props department. We're just going to fix it up, yep. throw it in the snow. Glasses. It's him. Done. <laughs> Done. Like, and we're not going to show him burning. Like, and, yeah. Think. It'd be good to know which bits were in, if there was anything intended to be more spectacular, but they were like, let's, let's not do anything here. Cause we don't yeah. have the time or money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could definitely see why I think, yeah, um, uh, which is what I like about the arts is having to think outside the box, like probably having that production meeting and having Bob go, okay, <laughs> legitimately, I can only do this amount. And then having to go, okay, what do we want to see? Mm-hmm. Whose death do we really want to see? Or how can we be creative? Like the, um, the hand at the end, the, oh yeah. Um, when going um, into the face, yeah, the hand, the hand into, into the Gary's face. face. That's the thing. Like that would be. It's a death that's quiet. That one I actually found the scariest was it mm. happened so quickly and it was he so simple. He doesn't have a chance. Just, and he doesn't have yeah. a chance to fight. It's just going on. Mm-hmm. But it's so simple where whether that was in the script or whether it was Bob and the director just really going, okay, how can it be simple but effective? How can we think outside of the box of this being practical for me mm. as a human being to do? <laughs> um, and then, But it works really well. Mm. And I think they that would have spent at least a good solid one meeting minimum like <laughs> oh. minimum one meeting or like lots of discussions be- way before even basic you know i guarantee yeah. you just had notebooks full of ideas mm-hmm. and, yeah. and sketches being like what would be good for this scene yeah yeah because mm. that was that one I actually found the scariest was just seeing the seeing the hands hand like under the skin in, like yeah that yeah that creeped me out the yeah. most poor gary yeah. what a way to go yeah. I know. and then the other guy you don't even see him he just, walks. He just walks off that's, and then he's well gone. that's the worst thing mm. what happened to him yeah, I mean, because after that, we see, obviously, all the floorboards move. Yeah, it's the a things... giant freaking monster. Like, I, my, I always imagine that Knowles just steps into him. Like, it's it's he, like, steps through, like, there's, like, a hole in the floor. 
Oh. And he steps in, and I just imagine him getting pulled through a hole in the floor mm. and like ripped to shreds that way. Oof. Yeah, it, that's one of those things where it's like the imagination is so much worse yeah, than what's and been you, presented. Because you've, you've seen some of the things it can do mm. that the like you can just go wild with the possibilities of what yeah. else could go wrong. Mm. Mm. Yeah, really right. cheery. Good. Yeah, <laughs> film. but it's he great. Must, Bob yeah. must have done a lot of other stuff after this um, movie. I, I or did this struggled. movie break him? He's a bit of a recluse now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that much. Uh, like he just likes to have his privacy. I know he went on and did a few other things, but obviously, I don't think anything to this scale. Because mm. the first, this is like his second film. Yeah. That being said, it makes sense if he was in his twenties and he really was just like, yeah. Like as many people that have like from small scales, like everyone that I know in the arts have always made that one mistake where they're like, I can, I could do it all. Uh, <laughs> and then they break down and go, I can't. So this probably was Bob's. It was like, oh, what are you talking? I'm in my 20s. I can do this. This will be fun. And Rob, then... Rob Burton, just had a quick look. Uh, he hasn't done anything uh, on his official filmography since 2002, but he has done quite a few films of note. Uh, he has done work on the Twilight Zone film, uh, segment three specifically, The Witches of Eastwick. Yeah, uh, could the ro- see that. The original Robocop trilogy. Oh, nice. Uh, he did work there. Basic Instinct, Seven... Uh, Mission Impossible Fight Club and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. So he, Jeez, you know, he'd been he'd around. Have, and he started back in '76 working on King Kong. So mm. he also worked on The Fog. Uh, that, that's how he met John Carpenter. Yeah, on The Fog, he was like yeah. a PA or something on there, and he just put in some good extra help. I think was how it went. And mm. John Carpenter was like, "Hey, you want to come do this thing with me?" Yeah. So yeah. he had yeah. a good solid 25 year career there. Mm. Um, yeah. And obviously, the thing I think stands as his magnum opus yes. because it's so good mm-hmm. it's wonderful um it, and yeah and i think it's just an absolutely it, it, it's an example of how well used practical effects can have such a positive impact also can i just say that what i liked about it at the start of the movie where it says where you are and then it gives the date it was like 1984 or 1982 yeah. Yeah. yeah um 1982 and i liked that because like they didn't have to do that Mm. Right, a lot of movies don't do that. And it's just like this is where it is, um, or they say, which I hate the most, when they show the past and then they say present day, and you're like, because that then could you're mean like, anything. but then you're like, <laughs> but if I watch this ten years in the future, mm. it looks dated as hell because mm. it's present day. I'm using quotation marks, sorry, mm. uh, <laughs> and uh, and while putting it in 1982 totally helped because we're watching this in 2017, but now you're like, oh no, I'm watching something based like a period piece based in 1982 yeah and so i think that's what makes it 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 ages it really well is because they've acknowledged in that time they're like this is the year 1982 mm. and then it makes reference because they're like oh the the, the spaceship crash you know a hundred thousand mm. years ago but i think to date it in that time and not say present day or to not give it a date at all i think mm. actually helps because you can watch it now in 2017 and and go okay and also i think that you could put it in the cinema and you could put it in the cinema now especially because 80s is all the rage at the moment yeah and people could watch that and I don't think people would question it. They'd go, oh, no, this is just a movie. It makes sense. He has it a makes chess sense. It's, it, they've yeah, just got a chess, chess wizard machine. computer because it's 1982. And yeah. that they have tape cassettes of old TV shows. Oh, I know this one. You know, that, yeah, yeah. 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 And so a lot of people go, oh, that's a reference of the 80s. But mm. I think I legitimately think you could probably get some teenagers mm. and, and not give them any context and throw that on. And because especially they might not know Kurt Russell. I mean, they maybe they've seen Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, too. yeah. Give it away. Um, and he's got the same hair. So. He's got the same <laughs> yeah, hair. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I think you could th- show that in the cinema, and I don't think people would question it. And I think that really shows 
the, the amount of work from practical mm. effects, from story, cinematography. There was only one time in cinematography where I could see the shadow of the camera. Mm. Um, only that? Um, in the early start um, where they do shots of the kitchen or the, no, the kitchen or it was the... The recreation the, It was either... No, it was definitely it was definitely the kitchen or the doctor's thing. And then the next shot was the empty hallway. So it was like empty space and it zoomed through and then you're in the hallway and then it was in another empty space going into the rec room. But when it zooms in, I think it's either the kitchen or the doctor's space because it was a fridge or a metal thing. It was a reflective thing. Oh, and no. And you, <laughs> you couldn't see the camera, but you could see a light shadow. Oh, and, right. um, and yeah, sometimes you can interpret... And that's why for a second I thought, hang on, is that the dog? Like it's right. like you're watching the view of the of the thing, yeah. but then it yeah. wasn't. It was just a scary shot, and I was like, "Oh, okay, well, it's a shadow." <laughs> but like literally, that's the only thing mm. that I noticed throughout the whole movie. So I think that it holds up so well. I really like the idea of you holding a screening for teenagers, considering this is an R-rated film, and also the idea of you just traumatizing a bunch of fifteen. No, okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I get I get what you mean, but at the same time, that's quite no. A funny but thing. I honestly think that, to be honest, a lot of 15 year olds have probably seen uh, bloodier things than this. Like, well, this film I, isn't even that bloody, really. It's not, and that's no. the thing. Like, it's I think gore, it's gore, but it's not. Blood. I, I, yeah. To be honest, I think the thing is R rated for 1982. Mm. I think if that came out It'll today, it would be a. MA 15 plus? MA 15 plus, yeah, max. Yeah. yeah. I, or no, M. I think in some places... I don't think it would be an M. I think I, it would yeah, be an MA. I, I think it would have to be with the 15 plus. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Like, I, you know, you could. I mean, this would be absolutely terrifying as a child. Oh, yeah. no, as a child, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, <laughs> but even as like a 12, 13-year-old, I think this this film could be a bit much. Yeah. Um, well, you'd it... never want to pat your dog ever again. Exactly. No, yeah. After watching the film, I was, I was like, who can I trust? Can and I, I got like paranoid for I know. like a couple I'm of days. I'm now sitting for a golden retriever right now. That I'm really worried. And you're going to go home alone to it. Just staring at a wall, you're like... Uh, um, yes, it's interesting though that you, you. So you enjoyed this film, Kate? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's interesting because at the time this film was, it wasn't a flop, but it wasn't very well received. It's interesting. It came out the same day as Blade Runner in the US. Okay. Two big, two films that we look back now as going, they are seminal, important science fiction texts. Yeah. yeah. And we we did Blade Runner recently on the podcast as well. Yeah. But at the time, they came out in the shadow of a little film you've already referenced called E.T. Yeah. And E.T. was a smash hit. Yeah, but you know... you know, so big. You know why? Why? It's because 80s in America, everything was going well. You had Mm. the family. Like, even though they might talk about divorce, like in some movies, Mm. it was still the economy. There wasn't any crashes yet. Like, American cinema at that time was Steven Spielberg's time. It was Mm. about family. It was about magic. It was about adventure. And hope. And and hope. And that's what America was at that time. It was like like peak capitalism Mm. of happiness. Everyone had the the four kids, the dog, the big house. And that's really what it was about at that time. It was Mm. really ignoring all the dark stuff. And that's why E.T. did so well, because you had kids, Mm. you had magic. And then to do a fun alien that just wants to go home and then all of a sudden you've got an alien that morphs i don't think mm. people were like no aliens et because life has a better future this was while, seven weeks after et yeah I think. so people thing, were not in the mood for that exactly while the thing and um and blade runner they were showing a more messed up life they were showing you know the the dark future of mm. what could be um the world and also you know what when you're isolated in the snow it's mind games the alien you know there might not have been an alien like you know what i mean like some people i wouldn't be surprised if you can interpret it as 
you know, a version mm. of people going crazy and just assuming that everyone's out to get them and destroys freaking everyone <laughs> and it's all in their head. Like that idea of isolation. So I think the 80s just... People just weren't ready and I think it was the late 80s and 90s where they started getting like a little bit more gritty mm. um, and then... Yeah, you know. and you know, and also like Blade Runner and The Thing both had future success because of things like home video. Like the home mm. video yeah. uh, market that really exploded in the late 80s and early 90s, that's when Ironically, those films... Ironically, somewhat because of E.T. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I suppose, <laughs> oh, and, yeah. Um, and Top Gun. Mm, yeah, yes. Top Gun. Top Gun was like the yeah, Top Gun and ET. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. So, th- but at the time, uh, the, the thing was um, not not that well received. And uh, John Carpenter said in an interview that he takes all of his failed movies pretty hard, and this was the one that disappointed him the most. Even though subsequently, it is viewed as being like a very seminal, important film. Mm. Um, at the time, uh, the movie was a a bit of a box office failure only just about recouped what it because it was this was a 15 million dollar picture and i think yeah. it made like 13.5 in the u.s Oof. box office so mm. it, it made it up on the internationals but it was still considered a, a failure and critics didn't like it they panned the glory effects and the bleak tone like you said they weren't after the bleak tone no, they were after um, yeah. he, uh, carpenter was particularly upset when the original the, the film's original director uh, christian nyby publicly denounced carpenter's version and what? said if you want blood go to the slaughterhouse all in all it's a terrific commercial for jmb scotch <laughs> Wow. Which, is, which is what um, McCready was drinking throughout the film. Oh, well, there was yeah. also a Smirnoff as well. I saw a yeah. lot of Smirnoff. There was a lot of drinking. And there's yeah. a couple of other examples of vitriol that greeted this film. Uh, David Anson of Newsweek called it, quote, an example of the new aesthetic, atrocity for atrocity's sake, end quote. Whilst Alan Spencer uh, for Starlog contended that John Carpenter ha- uh, was never meant to direct science fiction horror movies. He's better suited to direct traffic accidents, train wrecks, and public floggings. Oh my god. <laughs> well, okay, first of all, I'd st- I would still take that as a little bit of a compliment. Like, oh, thank you. Like, I can make beauty and you know, messed up gall. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I think America at that time just really wasn't ready for that. They just wanted you know, happy movies. You know what sci-fi was to them? It was Star Wars. Star, you know, sci-fi was, you know... And Star Trek. Star, and Trek. Star Trek. There was definitely and, you know, a market for this kind of thing because Alien came out in 79 and that mm. did really well. Yeah. It did. And that that and this film is quite reminiscent of Alien mm. in a lot of respects. Looking at it... I, it was, I was a lot less gory, though. It was, yeah. But uh, but the scene uh, which uh, we, we touched on briefly, the, the, uh, the scene where um, the defibrillator goes through the guy's chest... Yeah is slightly reminiscent of, of when the, of the, the chest burster mm. it's almost like a reverse chest burster you end up going into the chest in yeah, this case exactly. <laughs> yeah. um yeah the chest so comes to you yeah no, i like it how the alien it's really phallic and then in the thing it's very like crazy vagina like, <laughs> like they really want to just go complete opposites mm. yeah. um a couple of other things um i i really enjoyed uh, the the character of of Blair, Doctor Blair, um, mm. just because mm. obviously he gets isolated because he works out what what the potential of the thing is, the fact that it could dis- like infect everyone on the so, planet. Yeah, so within, he messes up all the transports years. and communication. Mm. And I really liked uh, Wilford Brimley's performance in this. He was just off his chops. He was not having a good time. But then, at the, you know, there's quieter moments where he's locked in the tool shed and he's got a noose he's there. Like, I want to like, come I'm out, fine. Mac. Like, I'm, I'm good. good now. Yeah, and he's great. He's he's act, But he is acting like he's completely normal. Which, actually, that's mm. probably when he was infected. Yeah. Because now that I think about it, right, he was all crazy. He had a noose ready. Mm. He was going to kill himself 
bam, gets infected. I'm going to have a meal. I'm good now. Let me in. I'm fine. That, like, was, that was when they're looking for Fuchs, that yeah. conversation. Yeah, so, so Fuchs what, has already been whatever out. Whatever got Fuchs probably went and got him. Yeah, I honestly think he was ready to be like, you know what, fuck it. I can hear stuff outside. He, The alien even said that. I can mm. hear things outside. It was the alien thing got to him. He was literally probably just seconds away from killing himself. Um, and and then all of a sudden he's alien. I think the next time you see him... Oh, sorry, I accidentally keep picking the cord. Um, every time you see him at that point, I think he's he's the thing. Yeah, and I, I want to go back at some point and like chart when everyone gets infected. Yes, that would be so good <laughs> just to see any... That's, I kept doing that throughout the movie. I kept going like... Have they changed? Like, are they are they different? Like, what's, you know... Because then you have all the people that go crazy and get killed, but then aren't infected. Like, Mac shoots mm. the guy who has the dogs. Yeah. Because he comes at him with a knife. Then they later found out with the blood test, he wasn't infected at all. Mm. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, and it's just great. That that tension, that sort of um, bluffing and double bluffing is, is just mm. really wonderful. But also, funniest moment in the movie is when um, they're all tied to the chair. That's and what they we're realize, about, yeah. And they realise that one of them, and it starts turning. And you've got the other three guys, and they're just, they're just they can't out. do anything, and they're all attached, <laughs> and they're all tied up, just going, ah! And they're well, just shuffling from the side, trying to get out. So funny. That's exactly what I wanted to get to. The, the Arguably, the iconic scene from this film, the blood test scene. Where... Which um, they didn't know what it was going to look like. Mm. It was meant to be like a little jump. And it went way higher than they thought it was going to go. Mm. And so when when Kurt Russell freaks the f*** out because this thing has jumped out of his, his hand, it's because it has. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's even better. I love that. And it's really it's a really great tense scene because obviously everyone's most of them are tied up. Kurt Russell's there with a flamethrower at the ready just in case. Mm. Um, and we see the first blood test, and it's fine. And then they test the blood of McCready himself, and he's not infected. But then obviously they test the guy he shot uh, who was looking after the dogs. And he was human. You know? Yeah. And it's like, he has that moment. And Charles is like, I guess you're a murderer then. And he's like, just shut up. <laughs> well, yeah, because that's, I think that was sort of the big thing. And, but also I liked um, Windows when he got, he was the first one to get tested. And I, I thought I kept he saying, tense. He, he was tense. He was tense. And it him. looked like that. I was like, oh my God, he's the thing. He's getting ready to attack people. And, and then, then he, he seems oh. so relieved. And that sort of sense of, hang on, would you even know? Like, and that sort of question of, like, do do I even know if I've been infected? Do I even know yeah. that what I am anymore? Because no one knows how it works how exactly. How it works, so. yeah. And I think that's really messed up. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I could be infected and not even know. And it's like, yeah. oh, good, I'm not infected. And then immediately dies. dies yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because then obviously we find out that Palmer was infected. Yeah. Um, and he transforms. With, neither of the flamethrowers are working. Gah. Uh, no. Faulty flamethrowers. Not, not a good thing. Um, yeah, well, they're just rocking on the... Sh- like, I, it was the funniest just them... And then the next time that they do it, they're like, all right, we learned from that mistake. When you're clean, we're gonna take untie your part. You. We're gonna untie you. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> that, like, all three of them just being like, ah, like, just it was so. Fu- I think that was the the uh, very funny, and I honestly think that I could sort of tell, like, as how much fun they would have had doing that scene. Yeah, like, I think that just would have been a fun scene to do. Um, it, it was definitely lighted up, but also I, from that movie, the. The blood test, I definitely realise how many movies now Mm. do a version of that. Like I mentioned, like obviously X-Files did a a pretty much just Mm -hmm. an episode based off the thing. Mm. Um, But uh, also just how many movies do that tense of like, are you, you know, how are we going to figure it out? Mm. Yeah. The blood test scene also has my absolute favourite quote from this film and pretty much from any film. From Gary? Yeah, from Gary. (laughs) I was just thinking about that. Right at the end, he goes... I know you gentlemen have been through a lot, but when you find the time, 
I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this f***ing couch. It's so and it's good. Just, it, the delivery is wonderful. He's just yeah. calm, 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 rage. It's, it's, He's so done yeah. with the whole yeah. scenario. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just wonderful. And then, of course, we get to the end of the film where um, the, the thing uh, is basically facing off against McCready. He manages to set off the detonator, but not with the detonator because the thing stole it. So yeah. he uses some dynamite. And then it's just him and Childs alone in the snow. And mm. Childs went missing for a bit. And we don't know yeah, if like he's he infected. Yeah, he went for a long time. Yeah. Like, he says he thought he, he says, saw where Blair. Were you? He's like, I thought I saw Blair. Yeah. We don't know. And then we see, you know, Kurt's there and he's pretty beat up and knackered. Both of them are just too exhausted to do anything. And, and they make getting that cold. Point. Yeah, they say, you know what? We're, we're both pretty much done for. This base is done for. What do we do? Have a drink and wait to die. Yeah. They're yeah. they they, they wait they waiting for God at the end of that film. Yeah. It's it's um And then that's where it ends. And it ended. And you said, Kate, you were like, that's it? That's, that's where it, it ends? Yeah. So you don't know what's actually going to happen. Mm. Um, for some reason, I thought a helicopter come, but then I realized that that was the end of the X-Files episode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was very much like, do they live? Do they die? And if one of them is the thing, it'll do fine on its own. Like, it'll yeah. just freeze and then come back out. Like mm. the, the prequel kind of answers the question of whether um, Charles would be the thing. Yes. Now, we were going to bring this oh, up because really? um, I think I know what you're about to say, but yeah. I'll, I'll let you say it. Um, there is obviously a lot of conjecture amongst fans of this film about whether or not, um, whether they were both infected, whether Charles and Mac, whether one was and the other wasn't, or whether they were both fine. Yeah, because you see the explosion, all of a sudden he's all right with a blanket. Like, yeah. You definitely could have. Yeah, yeah, you're like, what happened? They, you know, they, now, anything could have happened between yeah. then and there. From now, Mac. with Childs, mm. um, how, how is it that we know that he isn't infected? They have this big. It's similar to the blood scene in this scene, but in the prequel, they realize that the thing can only mimic organic matter. So that's why it destroys the clothing and then has to get new clothes and uh, stuff. Yeah. But they realize that if you have an earring or a feeling or something, then you can't be the thing because it can't replicate that. Oh, okay. So, and in the final scene, Charles has his earring in on the right ear. Oh. So he's not infected. And the reason that nice. uh, it's considered canon that McCready isn't infected is uh, there was a video game released in the early 2000s called, I think, The Thing 2. Uh, it was a PlayStation game. And in that, you play as um, McCready. McCready. I almost went McCready, which <laughs> McCready. Was, <laughs> sounds like a breakfast meal at McDonald's. Um, yeah, McCready, um, you play as him. And John Carpenter has actually stated that he considers that video game to be canon as part mm. of the, the thing. So it... Yeah, but Charles died, didn't he? He But in the game, yeah, Charles is dead at the start. So can I can I just say I feel like that was a mistake because I feel like what they could have done is like in gameplay you could have the option to play one or the other, and I think that would have been a lot better because in that sense of okay, you can play one of them, and then when the game starts, whoever you're playing, you don't actually know if the other person that you're with is the thing but you're working together to try and get out i think that would have been a much that would have been a cool game that, i think that would have been a really cool game instead of just like oh you're you're the lead oh he's dead like but mm. maybe i guess gameplay was very basic back then mm. i don't think you could have really we are in it. danger of turning into a video game review sorry podcast yeah. <laughs> i haven't um, even played the game but i'm already like yes well it's so bad yeah um i've done uh so a pretty extensive troll through the imdb trivia section yeah. um Lovely. partly because i remember really enjoying this film and i was like i want to learn some stuff um the, this movie is part of the culture if you are working in antarctica um, if you're oh, working, it would be that'd be it, so good. Yeah, oh my it is God. a long-standing tradition at all British Antarctic research stations. I love it's the British. They're like, yeah. we're going to learn from these Americans. Yeah, <laughs> they watch the thing as part of their mid-winter feast every June the twenty-first. <laughs> that when it 
if that like the middle of winter that's the middle yeah. of winter and this <laughs> yeah. film is set in the middle of winter in antarctica so um yeah no it's set at the oh, sorry, beginning so, of winter sorry yes they started my apologies yeah. yeah yes um so yes they, they watch this in the middle of an antarctic winter oh my god <laughs> it's just wonderful that's just so brilliant um john carpenter has stated that this is his favorite film of the ones he's made wow um which when you what can other s- movies has he made sorry to be uh here. halloween for one uh oh wow uh they live Escape from New York, mm. uh, Big Trouble in Little China, The Fog, which we mentioned earlier, uh, Assault on Precinct 13. So a lot of action films mm. and, yeah. and a lot of films with Kurt, Kurt Russell, Russell in them. Yeah, he, he likes loved, Kurt Russell. Yeah, he must have loved yeah. Kurt Russell. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think for it, it's his favorite. And to be honest, it's it's my favorite of his as well. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's yeah. a wonderful film. Um, in 2003, a couple of hardcore fans of the film, Todd Cameron and Steve Crawford, ventured to the remote filming location in British Columbia, and after 21 years, found remains of Outpost 31. Wow. That is so cool. The rotor blade from the chopper now belongs to them and rests in a collection of memorabilia they have from the film. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, obviously stuff was just left there because it was just yeah. detritus. Yeah, yeah. I also, when they said, like, that's really cool, but also... Guys, clean up your shit. Like when you finish a movie, I like... guess if you're blowing stuff up in the middle of nowhere, and you're like, well, yeah. Well, they had that with Star Wars as well. When they when they went back yeah. to film the Tatooine stuff in the prequel trilogy, there were set pieces. Uh, there was that skeleton uh, from a, a New Hope. Um, there was like a big alien creature yeah, skeleton, yeah, yeah. and they found it again in the desert. So they were just like, hey, look, it's still here. <laughs> oh, God. I think that's really, yeah, I was like, guys, clean up your shit. But also, I, I we said at the start of the movie, I was like, this just is a real good movie to just show people why we shouldn't let global warming happen. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the real enemy. And I was like, the there are microbes that they're discovering again yep. in the ice that have been frozen mm. for millennia. So Which mm. could kill everyone because we're yeah. not prepared for it. I'm, mm. I'm getting my blood tests ready right now. Oh. <laughs> Anytime someone comes around, right. Cut someone get Kurt Russell on the line. Mm. Yeah. Which for me at the end of the movie, I was like, why don't they just get a like a hot blade and just cut each other? And you're yeah. everyone, you two were like, okay, they're just tired. <laughs> like, at that point, you're like, I, I, I don't care enough at this point. Mm. Yeah. In the DVD commentary, John Carpenter says that Wilford Brimley uh, was the only cast member not to be grossed out in the autopsy scene when because they used real animal organs that they were oh, pulling wow. out. Uh-huh. Uh, Brimley was or it previously had been a real-life cowboy and hunter, so was used to uh, gutting <laughs> animals. So that's why he was doing the autopsy stuff, because he was like, yeah, I've done this before. Yep, this and is he was, Yeah, that's why he was fine, but all the others were a bit like... Bleh, bleh, bleh. <laughs> I love it. Show real real reactions. I was the same when he was like cutting the thing open, and I don't even know what they were looking at. It was like a skull, like a thing, and he was like ripping apart the flesh, and he was it like... It was like Whoa. a morphed-up yeah. like, uh, dog skull, and then like behind it was... Yeah, just... yeah, and he was the guy was just going, ooh, what's... He was like, ooh, what's oh, this? And ooh. a part of me just sort of thought that it was just them going, look, you don't know, and him as an actor just pulling it apart, just going, what is this? Because, yeah, it was really mm. good. What did we think of the soundtrack on this film? Very 80s. Very 80s, very, 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 very 80s. But did, uh, we, did yeah. we like it? It, I don't really, except for the opening, like with the helicopter, and then kind of at the end, and a, and a few quieter moments, you don't really notice the, the soundtrack much. No, the only time I really noticed it was when they were in the um, pole. Po- no. Uh, Norwegian. Norwegian camp? I was about to say Swedish yeah. because they kept mm. making that joke. The Swedes. Norwegians. Yeah, the synth when they found the ice thing. And both Stephen and I have sort of made that joke of um that 
it was just a guy with a synth machine like <laughs> in the, the eyes. Side. In the eyes. <laughs> yeah. Like if it was a comedy, that's mm. what you would that's what you would show. Yeah. So I think that was really the only time where I was like, Okay, we get it, it's the eighties. But mm. also again, like that's why it still works, is the start of the movie, they say nineteen eighty two. So I think it would st- I think it's it would still work. Like when yeah. you watch films that are based in that era, they use music from that era. So mm. It, it worked. It worked. Yeah, I, I liked it. Obviously, it's um, Ennio Morricone, who's just done so many wonderful film soundtracks. But this was the first film John Carpenter did where he didn't do the score. Oh. Because uh, all his previous work, he'd done the score. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I, I, I was uh, looking, li- I was listening out for it, I suppose, just to have a sense of, obviously, it's still, they, they would have had a lot of discussions. And this is pretty much what I'm sure John Carpenter would have wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I quite liked it. I think that, done. Dun, dun, is a great just subtle yeah. tense thing and like it it popped up whenever like we saw the dog just like under the pool table yeah, yeah. it was really like there. even if you couldn't speak um, well you even if you didn't know what the norwegians were saying like every time i saw that dog i was like man Something something's with that <laughs> dog like that that's that's a weird dog like i don't trust that dog great actor but i don't trust it uh, <laughs> yeah so they use music to their advantage quite Mm. Uh, John Carpenter comments that one of the bush pilots used in uh, the film offered to crash the helicopter for money. Wow. Yeah. Uh, when McCready and Dr. Cooper go to visit the Norwegian camp, the bush pilot actually gave the controls to Kurt Russell once the chopper was off the ground. So when it wobbles in the film, that's because he just gave the controls to Kurt Russell. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you're meant to be the pilot, you fly. <laughs> so... But he's like, I'm, I'm not a pilot. Mm. Like, yeah, I love that. And speaking of Scandinavians, this film was originally banned in Finland. Really? Yeah. Why? I'm yeah. guessing because they kept confusing the Norwegians for the Swedes and they yeah, got well, annoyed. Well, uh, McCready's always like, what are the Swedes doing? It's like, they're Norwegian, McCready, and they're Norwegian. Mm. Um, obviously, uh, th- this is not an original text. Uh, it's based no. on a, a classic sh- short story called Who Goes There, written by um, uh, a science fiction writer, one of the early ones, uh, John S- W. Campbell. Some, some of the best horror and sci-fi come from like a short story mm. from like... 1901 Mm. and there was originally a film adaption of this called the thing from another world yeah uh, 1951 which was directed by christian neby who we just heard saying uh this film is a great commercial for uh, scotch (laughs) that that yeah he directed the original version which i have seen because i I haven't seen that i did film studies what did you think of it this is a better film (laughs) and i'm I'm sorry like i'm sure in 1951 this it it, it's the it's a similar thing where they it, they're in um a co- they're in the Arctic in that version. They're not in Antarctica, mm. but they're still in a cold place. But it's a very typical like forties fifties science fiction film where it's like there's the professor and his hot daughter and some guy who's got a soldier background and some other guy in glasses. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the thing itself is vegetable based. Like it essentially, oh. it's more like a, a like a conscious vegetable. So it's kind of a bit carroty, a bit cabbagey, and it's basically kind of just like. A, a, they're playing around with a different aspect of what the thing could have been. So it was more like a plant-based Frankenstein's monster, oh, I guess. Okay. Um, Did it pretend to be other people? Or? No, it, it was nothing like that. It was essentially just like a monster of the week. Okay. Um, okay. I'm sure at the time, like the concept wasn't too bad, but the execution wasn't wonderful. And I think it's a bit rich of Chris of Nyby saying, oh, this is too gory. Uh, I'm, I'm, th- I'm detecting he may have been a little jealous. He maybe thought it was better yeah. and was covering yeah. up. The Thing from Another World is not a terrible film, but it's nothing, absolutely nothing on this film. Yeah. Um, mm. the, I, I just feel as though the thing from another world is a very good example of 
a type of science fiction uh, yeah. film that we're used to, whereas the thing kind of stands it out. Sounds by kind itself. of like a Doctor Who serial from how yeah, you a Doctor Who it. but mm. from before Doctor Who. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that kind of thing. Um, yeah, but the thing this this film 1982 is the thing I think stands out way above most other science fiction films is just being it is for me i th- i would say it is the best science fiction horror film i'd put well, it there's above... a reason it was voted in yeah. uh, to be watched today yeah yeah i, I put it in above alien um mm. i'd say that and any other i mean i liked alien i, thought I it was alien is one of my favorite films but i, I would definitely put the thing above it mm. um yeah so there you go. A couple of uh, interesting casting options. Okay. We know that uh, Nick Nolte turned down the opportunity to play McCready. No. Um, okay. Which could have been interesting. Uh, as did Jeff Bridges. Oh, okay. See, but Je- I, Jeff Bridges and Kurt Russell, they're very similar. They're very, yeah, they are. Like, in the 80s, they were very interchangeable. Yeah, <laughs> like I think you could just replace them and no one would really notice. Mm. Uh, some of the other actors that were considered, uh, Harrison Ford. Who, of course. It's 1982. He's in everything. So. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, I don't think he would yeah. have been good in it, to be honest. Like no, I don't no. like when I think of Harrison Ford, I I don't think he'd be that good. Clint Eastwood. Oh. I can see I can see why. D- this see, is Dirty Harry era Clint Eastwood. Yeah. yeah. See, I would love that just because yeah, just because of Dirty Harry slash that cowboy. It'd be really cool if I would love him if he was you know, the guy that was in charge, the one that could shoot. Gary. Gary. Mm. I think it would be like that. I thought I the only role I could see Clint Eastwood is like Gary. Uh, like, you know, doing that bullseye shot and everyone be like, yeah. you know, and being like the leader, like the old What guy. did McCready yell at the end? Was it, yeah, f*** you too? Yeah. I think that's the test. Okay. so If I, you can see the actor saying that line just as well. Okay. With the rest of the actors, I'll I'll say the actor. You tell me if you think they can deliver the, hey, yeah, f*** you too line. Okay. okay? Mel Gibson. Nah. Mm. Nah. He, this was Mad Max era, though. I think he's got that. He, I, I, to me, I always go to Lethal Weapon, which he's great in Lethal Weapon. Mm. Yeah, but I think he's maybe slightly too Comical. wink at the camera. Yeah, yeah, bit he's too campy. Too, yeah, he's a bit too. Yeah, he's too action heroy mm. for that era. I yeah. think he don't mm. think he could do it. Bruce Willis. <gasps> Again, he's. Uh, well, that being said, Bruce Willis now, no, Bruce Willis in his peak at that time, I think he could have pulled it off. I think he could have. But, um, but I think again, he could have. I think he could have pulled off the pouring the alcohol on the chess wizard. Yes, generally a bit of a scumbag. Um, yeah, I think he. Character. Yeah, you know him. I don't think he would be perfect. Better than Kurt Russell. No, I don't think. Yeah, um, but I think he could have done. He could have done a good job. Mm. Yeah. Um, there's quite a few here, so I'll just r- rattle through them. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. Uh, no. Christopher Reeve. Yeah. Oh, that would have been interesting. Mm. I think he could have done it. Mm. Uh, gone away from Superman. I think that would have been really yeah. interesting. Yeah. John Travolta. Mm. <laughs> no. no. Uh, Richard Gere. No. No. Uh, yeah. No. Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> a little bit more. A little Maybe. bit. It's close. Chuck Norris. No. <laughs> he can't act for shit. Mm. Mm. Alec Baldwin. Ooh. Okay. What? This is eighty two. This is eighty two. He was still. He was like bold ones were pretty hot. I don't know why people liked him. I think he could have done it, but I don't think. Oh no! I'm still not as good. Yeah. Gary Oldman. Yeah. I think think it would have been funny if. Okay, I'm gonna be real. Mm. Gary Oldman. Oh no! I got the two actors mixed up. Fuck. 
Who are I, you thinking of? Uh, the guy from Alien. He died recently. Oh, when, John Hurt. John Hurt. Hurt. Okay, John yeah. Hurt and Gary Oldman. Those were pretty interchangeable for mm. like English. I think if they if they got John Hurt as the guy mm. whose stomach got caved in, I think that would have been the funniest. <laughs> oh man, that would have been the funniest thing ever. Yeah. Well, I mean, like in uh, Spaceballs. Oh no, well, not, not again. again. <laughs> and uh, just to round this off, Ron Perlman. I can kind of see that young Ron Perlman. I could yeah. see. I could see him, but to be honest, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell was perfect. Kurt Russell I does think. a really good job. He's a great choice for this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, he because th- this character McCready is a bit of a bastard. Yeah, you know, he pours alcohol on a computer. I know we keep going to it, but that's the only time we see him before yeah, he, this he, happens. He doesn't like. He goes through his problems a yeah. lot of the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think he was perfect for this part. And yeah. you know, as someone who has uh, rather similar hair to Kurt <laughs> Russell in this film. I appreciate seeing an action hero with uh, with that style of hair and beard, like a solid mm. beard. Oh, and, like, it is. Solid yeah, hair, it's a good like... look for him. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really uh, nailing it. So, um, ultimately, Kate. Yeah. Did you enjoy I really, the thing? I really enjoyed the thing. I think it was. I'm glad I watched it. I'd probably watch it again. I really enjoyed it. Um, it makes me sort of want to watch more sci-fi horror movies because I don't really watch a lot of horror. I'm gonna be real. I watched it in the cinema, and that was the closest to horror I've watched oh, in so like good such a good film. years. Mm. Yeah, it was really, really. Good. Oh, you enjoyed it though. Yeah, I really enjoyed mm. it. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, again, very eighties nostalgia, which is why that made me sort of remind myself that you could probably put the thing now in the cinema because they do do a lot of older films in cinemas now to sort yeah. of watch it for that experience. And I think it would do really well in the cinema, and I think everyone would probably. The original actors and the director. Is he alive or is he dead? Or yeah, he... John Carpenter's still alive. Oh, yeah, still John Carpenter's still not there. Uh, I don't know that much uh, about that. So I think if it was brought back in the cinemas now, I think it would do really well. And I think it'd be nice for John then to sort of, I think, watch people go to the cinemas now. I think it would do well the second time around. Well, like they did that with Back to the Future a couple of years ago. Yeah, and I honestly think and they should one. do it before he dies. I think they <laughs> should I think they should put it all through the cinemas again and I think it would legitimately do really well because it's a yeah. really good movie and I would recommend it to people. Yeah. John Carpenter is still alive. He's 69. Oh my his... god, I, for some reason I thought he was in like in his 80s now. Yeah. Um... And his current Wikipedia picture, he looks a bit like um Hulk Hogan's dad. <laughs> they they've got a kind of similar oh, see that look going but like on. he's less gross even though there's probably not a massive age difference <laughs> he's got the moustache the moustache mm. is doing him well yeah mm. but i think i mean they've probably done so many cinema screenings of the thing yeah like, i would assume you know but... I, I presume that he's aware that people like it now i think that's yeah. um i think it's pretty well known at this point pretty common knowledge mm. Mm. but yeah andrew re-watching that film um how was it just oh it was still... great it, it's still amazing how many things i pick up on and how many things i forget again because i get stuck on like that middle section of the film and then i kind of forget what happens to everyone else and it, it's just great being like oh who was next again oh mm. and, and seeing how it all plays out and yeah loved it hulk hogan is 64 by the way oh, oh. Okay. um so let's score the film Mm-hmm. On this very spooky Halloween night. Okay, as the uh, person who's watched the film for the first time, you get to go first. What score would you give it? Or sorry, what scare would you give it Ooh. out of 10? I give it eight ghouly boos out of 10. Uh, <laughs> uh, what would you uh, give it on a scare of one to 10? On a scare? Yeah. I would say nine drunk helicopter pilots out of mm. 10. Um, I am going to agree with you both. I think this is a fantastic film. Um, I, oh, I've I've never given a ten out of ten before. Ooh. 
And I'll be honest, I kind of think I have to. I don't think there is anything you can really wow. do with this film. So I'm going to give it 10. Kate Willoughby saying, what the f***? <laughs> I know. Could yeah. you? I just. I gotta be real. I. I'm glad I watched it here mm. and not in a cinema because I would definitely be. I was like that when I was watching Get Out. Yeah. I, I think, think I this is a great. People. Maybe not like horror film night film because you get too many people, too many people talking, but like mm. two or three friends sitting them down, showing them this film, and, and like then getting into it. Maybe doing a podcast afterwards. Maybe doing a podcast <laughs> yeah, afterwards. It's perfect for that. <laughs> yeah, it is. And you know, I, I, I obviously normally with the scores uh, or scares in this case, we do say they're subjective. Um, you know, it's it's just our opinion. I honestly don't think you can make this film better. I, I think like in terms of what they did at the time, what they set out to yeah. achieve mm. and what is the final product. Except that one camera shadow. Oh, mm. Well, you a... see, I didn't see the camera shadow. <laughs> yeah. So if I had it, it'd be 9.9. It would be a denial for that. <laughs> yeah. But, but, no, I think for yeah. what they did, uh, that's what I mean. You mm. could put it in the cinema now and not tell people that it was made in the 80s. Yeah. Just mm. legitimately just go. Mm. Um, other than Kurt Russell, I think a lot of other people probably wouldn't assume who the other actors are. Mm, I like, think they some would people just... might know who Keith David is, but not. Like, they might pick out his voice. But yeah. But I think unless you've watched it. Community, yeah. he's not really been in much yeah. uh, physically. So. Yeah. So I think you could literally show it in the cinema and people would just assume that it's a period piece, which sounds so funny saying, mm. the 80s, a period piece. Uh, but it, it was is. 35 years ago yeah. Yeah. So from the time of recording. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it, it is getting on now a little bit, you know. The 80s mm. was, was some time away. Uh, mm. So... There we go. Anyway, that is all for this uh, very spooky Halloween episode. So, Kate and Andrew, thank you very much for watching The Thing with me. Thank you for having us, Stephen. Yes, thank you for scaring the shit out of me. I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, thank you, uh, listening at home, for uh, Wild One, for voting for The Thing. It's a fantastic film, and we really enjoyed reviewing it. And thank you also to our wonderful Patreons uh, who suggested this and several other films. Uh, If you wish to become a Patreon here at the Cinema Catch-Up Club and have your suggestions included uh, for future film polls, then just go to www.patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast that's ccuc podcast and if you become a uh, a patreon there's all sorts of uh, wonderful prizes on offer including the chance to get films that you want reviewed reviewed on this podcast uh we can also be found on facebook just search for the cinema catch-up club podcast and you can leave uh recommendations or thoughts on uh, our various reviews there uh you can also tell friends about it if they like certain films uh we've got a whole back catalog uh which is uh, worth examining and of course all information can be found at www.thoughtjarproductions.com about this and other projects but that's all for this week so until next time Sweet dreams. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.